Hello, and welcome to All Things Plantagenet. My name is Donnie Hazel, and I am your host. To all of my original listeners, welcome back. To those new to the show, welcome. I am a storytelling historian with a great love for the Plantagenet dynasty, as I am a direct descendant to Geoffrey of Anjou via my paternal line on my grandmother Carter's side. I descend through Diana Skipwith, daughter of Sir Henry Skipwith and Amy Kemp. Diana married Captain Thomas Carter. They immigrated to the Americas in 1650, settling in Barford in Lancaster County, Virginia. So with that said, please like and download the show as it helps other listeners learn about the show. If you wish to support this podcast, there is a link for you to do so, and it would be much appreciated as it would help with costs of maintaining the website www.allthingsplantagenet.com where you can find the podcast as well as extra items for each episode you can read or download. You can also find great books and videos for sale as well. Feel free to also visit our Facebook page. A link is provided as well on the website. Okay, on to the episode. Act 5 of The Life and Death of King John by William Shakespeare. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Act Five, Scene One, King John's Palace. Enter King John, Cardinal Pandolf, and attendants. Thus have I yielded up into your hand the circle of my glory. Giving the crown. Take again from this my hand as holding of the Pope your sovereign greatness and authority now keep your holy word go meet the french and from his holiness use all your power to stop their marches for we are inflamed our discontented counties do revolt our people quarrel with obedience swearing allegiance and the love of soul to stranger blood to foreign royalty this inundation of mistempered humour rests by you only to be qualified then pause not for the present times so sick that present medicine must be ministered or overthrow incurable ensues it was my breath that blew this tempest up upon your stubborn usage of the pope but since you are a gentle convertite my tongue shall hush again this storm of war and make fair weather in your blustering land on this ascension day remember well upon your oath of service to the pope Go I to make the French lay down their arms. Exit. Is this Ascension Day? Did not the prophet say that before Ascension Day at noon my crown I should give off? Even so I have. I did suppose it should be on constraint, but heaven be thanked, it is but voluntary. Enter the bastard. All Kent hath yielded. Nothing there holds out but Dover Castle. London hath received, like a kind host, the Dauphin and his powers. Your nobles will not hear you, but are gone to offer service to your enemy, and wild amazement hurries up and down the little number of your doubtful friends. Would not my lords return to me again after they heard young Arthur was alive? They found him dead and cast into the streets, an empty casket, where the jewel of life by some damned hand was robbed and ta'en away. That villain Hubert told me he did live. So, on my soul, he did, for aught he knew. 
But wherefore do you droop? Why look you sad? Be great in act as you have been in thought. Let not the world see fear and sad distrust govern the motion of a kingly eye. Be stirring as the time. Be fire with fire. Threaten the threatener, and outface the brow of bragging horror. So shall inferior eyes that borrow their behaviours from the great grow great by your example, and put on the dauntless spirit of resolution. Away and glister like the god of war when he intendeth to become the field. Show boldness and aspiring confidence. What, shall they seek the lion in his den, and fright him there, and make him tremble there? Oh, let it not be said! Forage! and run to meet displeasure farther from the doors, and grapple with him ere he comes so nigh. The legate of the Pope hath been with me, and I have made a happy peace with him, and he hath promised to dismiss the powers led by the Dauphin. Oh, inglorious league! Shall we, upon the footing of our land, send fair play orders and make compromise, insinuation parley and base truth to arms invasive shall a beardless boy a cocker silken wanton brave our fields and flesh his spirit in a warlike soil mocking the air with colours idly spread and find no check oh, let us my liege to arms perchance the cardinal cannot make your peace or if he do let it at least be said they saw we had a purpose of defence have thou the ordering of this present time? Away, then, with good courage. Yet I know our party may well meet a prouder foe. Exeunt. Scene two. Lewis Camp at St. Edmundsbury. Enter in arms Lewis, Salisbury, Mellon, Pembroke, Bigot, and soldiers. My lord Mellon, let this be copied out, and keep it safe for our remembrance. Return the precedent to these lords again, that, having our fair order written down, both they and we, perusing o'er these notes, may know wherefore we took the sacrament, and keep our faiths firm and inviolable. Upon our swords it never shall be broken, and a noble dauphin, albeit we swear a voluntary zeal and an unurged faith to your proceedings. Yet believe me, prince, I am not glad that such a sort of time should seek a plaster by contempt revolt, and heal the inveterate canker of one wound by making many. Oh, it grieves my soul that I must draw this metal from my side to be a widow-maker. Oh, and there where honourable rescue and defence cries out upon the name of Salisbury. But such is the infection of the time that for the health and physic of our right we cannot deal but with the very hand of stern injustice and confused wrong and is not pity o oh my grieved friends that we the sons and children of this isle were born to see so sad an hour as this wherein we step after a stranger match upon her gentle bosom and fill up her enemies ranks I must withdraw and weep upon the spot of this enforced cause, to grace the gentry of a land remote, and follow unacquainted colours here. What, here? O oh, nation, that thou could remove, the Neptune's arms, who clipped thee about, would bear thee from the knowledge of thyself, and grapple thee unto a pagan shore, 
where these two Christian armies might combine the blood of malice in a vein of league, and not to spend it so unneighbourly. A noble temper dost thou show in this, and great affections wrestling in thy bosom doth make an earthquake of nobility. Oh, what a noble combat hast thou fought between compulsion and a brave respect! Let me wipe off this honourable dew that silverly doth progress on thy cheeks. My heart hath melted at a lady's tears, being an ordinary inundation, but this effusion of such manly drops, this shower blown up by tempest of the soul, startles mine eyes, and makes me more amazed than had I seen the vaulty top of heaven figured quite o'er with burning meteors. Lift up thy brow, renowned Salisbury, and with a great heart heave away the storm. Commend these waters to those baby eyes that never saw the giant world enraged, nor met with fortune other than at feasts, full of warm blood, of mirth, of gossiping. Come, come, for thou shalt thrust thy hand as deep into the purse of rich prosperity as Lewis himself. So noble shall you all that knit your sinews to the strength of mine. And even there, methinks, an angel spake. Enter Cardinal Pandolf. Look where the holy legate comes apace, to give us warrant from the hand of heaven, and on our actions set the name of right with holy breath. Hail, noble prince of France! The next is this. King John hath reconciled himself to Rome. His spirit is come in, that so stood out against the holy church, the great metropolis and sea of Rome. Therefore thy threatening colours now wind up and tame the savage spirit of wild war, that like a lion fostered up at hand, it may lie gently at the foot of peace, and be no further harmful than in show. Your grace shall pardon me. I will not back. I am too high-born to be propertied, to be a secondary at control, or useful serving man and instrument to any sovereign state throughout the world. Your breath first kindled the dead coal of wars between this chastised kingdom and myself, and brought in matter that should feed this fire, and now it is far too huge to be blown out with that same weak wind which enkindled it. You taught me how to know the face of right, acquainted me with interest to this land, yea, thrust this enterprise into my heart. And come ye now to tell me John hath made his peace with Rome? What is that peace to me? I, by the honour of my marriage-bed, after young Arthur, claim this land for mine. And now it is half conquered, must I back because that John hath made his peace with Rome? Am I Rome's slave? What penny hath Rome borne? What men provided? What munition sent to underprop this action? Is not I that undergo this charge? Who else but I, and such as to my claim are liable, sweat in this business and maintain this war? Have I not heard these islanders shout out, Vive le roi, as I have banked their towns? Have I not here the best cards for the game to win this easy match played for a crown? And shall I now give o'er the yielded set? No, no on my soul, it never shall be said. You look but on the outside of this work. 
outside or inside, I will not return till my attempt so much be glorified as to my ample hope was promised before I drew this gallant head of war and culled these fiery spirits from the world to outlook conquest and to win renown even in the jaws of danger and of death. Trumpet sounds. What lusty trumpet thus doth summon us? Enter the bastard, attended. According to the fair play of the world, let me have audience. I am sent to speak. My holy lord of Milan, from the king I come, to learn how you have dealt for him. And as you answer, I do know the scope and warrant limited unto my tongue. The Dauphin is too willful opposite, and will not temporize with my entreaties. He flatly says he'll not lay down his arms. By all the blood that ever fury breathed, the youth says well. Now, hear our English king, for thus his royalty doth speak in me. He is prepared, and reason too he should, this apish and unmannerly approach, this harnessed mask and unadvised revel, this unhaired sauciness and boyish troops the king doth smile at, and is well prepared to whip this dwarfish war, these pygmy arms from out the circle of his territories. That hand which had the strength, even at your door, to cudgel you, and make you take the hatch, to dive like buckets and concealed wells, to crouch in litter of your stable planks, to lie like pawns locked up in chests and trunks, to hug with swine, to seek sweet safety out in vaults and prisons, and to thrill and shake even at the crying of your nation's crow, thinking his voice an armoured Englishman. Shall that victorious hand be feebled here, that in your chambers gave you chastisement? No! No, the gallant monarch is in arms, and like an eagle o'er his airy towers to souse annoyance that comes near his nest. And you degenerate, you ingrate revolts, you bloody Neros ripping up the womb of your dear mother England, blush for shame. For your own ladies and pale-visaged maids, like Amazons come tripping after drums, their thimbles into armoured gauntlets change, their needles to lances, and their gentle hearts to fierce and bloody inclination. There end thy brave, and turn thy face in peace. We grant thou canst outscold us. Fare thee well. We hold our time too precious to be spent with such a brabbler. Give me leave to speak. No, I will speak. We will attend to neither. Strike up the drums, and let the tongue of war plead for our interest and our being here. Indeed, your drums being beaten will cry out, and so shall you being beaten. Do but start an echo with the clamour of thy drum, and even at hand a drum is ready braced that shall reverberate all as loud as thine. Sound but another, and another shall, as loud as thine, rattle the welkin's ear, and mock the deep-mouthed thunder. For at hand, not trusting to this halting legateer, whom he hath used rather for sport than need, is warlike John, and in his forehead sits a bare-ribbed death, whose office is this day to feast upon whole thousands of the French. Strike up our drums to find this danger out! And thou shalt find it, Dauphin, do not doubt. Exeunt. Scene three. The field of battle. Alarums. 
Enter King John and Hubert. How goes the day with us? Oh, tell me, Hubert. Badly, I fear. How fares your majesty? This fever that hath troubled me so long lies heavy on me. Ah, oh, my heart is sick. Enter a messenger. My lord, your valiant kinsman, Falconbridge, desires your majesty to leave the field and send him word by me which way you go. Tell him towards Swinstead, to the abbey there. Be of good comfort, for the great supply that was expected by the Dauphin here are wrecked three nights ago on Goodwin Sands. This news was brought to Richard, but even now, the French fight coldly and retire themselves. I me. This tyrant fever burns me up and will not let me welcome this good news. Set on towards Swinstead to my litter straight. Weakness possesseth me, and I am faint. Exeunt. Scene four. Another part of the field. Enter Salisbury, Pembroke, and Bigot. I did not think the king so stored with friends. Up once again, put spirit in the French. If they miscarry, we miscarry too. That misbegotten devil, Falconbridge, in spite of spite, alone upholds the day. They say King John saw sick hath left the field. Enter Melon, wounded. Lead me to the revolts of England here. When we were happy, we had other names. It is the Count Melon. Wounded to death. Fly, noble English, you are bought and sold. Unthread the rude eye of rebellion, and welcome home again discarded faith. Seek out King John and fall before his feet. For if the French be lords of this loud day, he means to recompense the pains you take by cutting off your heads. Thus hath he sworn, and I with him, and many more with me, upon the altar at St. Edmundsbury. Even on that altar where we swore to you, dear Amity, an everlasting love. May this be possible? May this be true? Have I not hideous death within my view, retaining but a quantity of life which bleeds away, even as a form of wax resolveth from his figure against the fire? What in the world should make me now deceive, since I must lose the use of all deceit? Why should I then be false, since it is true that I must die here and live hence by truth? I say again, if Louis do win the day, he is forsworn, if e'er those eyes of yours behold another day break in the east. But even this night, whose black contagious breath already smokes about the burning crest of the old, feeble, and day-wearied sun, even this ill night, your breathing shall expire, Paying the fine of rated treachery, even with the treacherous fine of all your lives, if Lewis, by your assistance, win the day. Command me to one you but with your king, the love of him, and this respect besides, for that my grandsire was an Englishman, awakes my conscience to confess all this. In lieu whereof, I pray you, bear me hence from forth the noise and rumour of the field, where I may think the remnant of my thoughts in peace, and part this body and my soul with contemplation and devout desires. We do believe thee, and beshrew my soul, but I do love the fever and the form of this most fair occasion, by the which we will untread the steps of damned flight, 
and like a baited and retired flood leaving our rankness and irregular course stoop low within those bones we have overlooked and cabby run on in obedience even to our ocean to our great king john my arms shall give thee help to bear thee hence for i do see the cruel pangs of death right in thine eye away my friends new flight and happy newness that intends old right exeunt leading off melon scene five the french camp enter lewis and his train the sun of heaven methought was loath to set but stayed and made the western welkin blush when english measure backward their own ground in faint retire oh bravely came we off when with a volley of our needless shot after such bloody toil we bid good night and wound our tattering colours clearly up lost in the field and almost lords of it enter a messenger where is my prince the dauphin here what news the count Molin is slain the english lords by his persuasion are again fallen off and your supply which you have wished so long are cast away and sunk on goodwin sands half foul shrewd news beshrew thy very heart i did not think to be so sad to-night as this hath made me who was he that said king john did fly an hour or two before the stumbling night did part our weary powers whoever spoke it it is true my lord well keep good quarter and good care to-night the day shall not be up so soon as i to try the fair adventure of to-morrow exeunt scene six an open place in the neighbourhood of swinstead abbey enter the bastard and hubert severally who's there speak ho speak quickly or i shoot a friend what art thou of the part of england whither dost thou go what's that to thee why may i not demand of thine affairs as well as thou of mine hubert i think thou hast a perfect thought i will upon all hazards well believe thou art my friend that knowest my tongue so well who art thou who thou wilt and if thou please thou mayst befriend me so much as to think i come one way of the plantagenets unkind remembrance thou and eyeless knight have done me shame brave soldier pardon me that any accent breaking from thy tongue should scape the true acquaintance of mine ear come come sans compliment what news abroad why here walk i in the black brow of night to find you out brief then and what's the news oh my sweet sir news fitting to the night black fearful comfortless and horrible show me the very wound of this ill news i am no woman i'll not swoon at it the king i fear is poisoned by a monk i left him almost speechless and broke out to acquaint you with this evil that you might the better arm you to the sudden time than if you had at leisure known of this how did he take it who did taste to him a monk i tell you a resolved villain whose bowels suddenly burst out the king yet speaks and peradventure may recover who didst thou leave to tend his majesty why know you not the lords are all come back and brought prince henry in their company at whose request the king hath pardoned them and they are all about his majesty withhold thine indignation mighty heaven and tempt us not to bear above our power i'll tell thee hubert 
half my power this night passing these flats are taken by the tide. These Lincoln washes have devoured them. Myself well mounted hardly have escaped. Away before, conduct me to the king. I doubt he will be dead where I come. Exeunt. Scene seven. The Orchard in Swinstead Abbey. Enter Prince Henry, Salisbury, and Bigot. It is too late. The life of all his blood is touched corruptibly, and his pure brain, which some suppose the soul's frail dwelling-house, doth by the idle comments that it makes foretell the ending of mortality. Enter Pembroke. His Highness yet doth speak, and holds belief that, being brought into the open air, it would allay the burning quality of that fell poison which assaileth him. Let him be brought into the orchard here. Doth he still rage? Exit, bigot. He is more patient than when you left him. Even now he sung. O oh, vanity of sickness! Fierce extremes in their continuance will not feel themselves. Death, having preyed upon the outward parts, leaves them invisible, and his siege is now against the mind, the which he pricks and wounds with many legions of strange fantasies, which in their throng and pressed to that last hold confound themselves. Tis strange that death should sing. I am the signet to this pale faint swan, who chants a doleful hymn to his own death, and from the organ-pipe of frailty sings his soul and body to their lasting rest. Be of good comfort, prince, for you are born to set a form upon that indigest which he hath left so shapeless and so rude. Enter attendants and bigot, carrying King John in a chair. I am Mary. Now my soul hath elbow-room, that would not out at windows nor at doors. There is so hot a summer in my bosom that all my bowels crumble up to dust. I am a scribbled form, drawn with a pen upon a parchment, and against this fire do I shrink up. How fares your majesty? Poisoned, ill-fare. Dead, forsook, cast off, and none of you will bid the winter come to thrust his icy fingers in my maw, nor let my kingdom's rivers take their course through my burned bosom, nor entreat the north to make his bleak winds kiss my parched lips and comfort me with cold. I do not ask you much. I beg cold comfort, and you are so straight and so ungrateful. Deny me that. Oh, that there were some virtue in my tears that might relieve you. The salt in them is hot. Within me is a hell, and there the poison is as a fiend, confined to tyrannize on unreprievable condemned blood. Enter the bastard. Oh, I am scalded with my violent motion and spleen of speed to see your majesty. Oh, cousin, thou art come to set mine eye. The tackle of my heart is cracked and burnt, and all the shrouds wherewith my life should sail are turned to one thread, one little hair. My heart hath one poor string to stay it by, which holds but till thy news be uttered. And all this thou seest is but a clod, and module of confounded royalty. 
The Dauphin is preparing hitherward, where heaven he knows how we shall answer him. For in a night the best part of my power, as I upon advantage did remove, were in the washes all unwarily devoured by the unexpected flood. King John dies. You breathe this dead news in as dead an ear. My liege, my lord, but no a king, now this. Even so must I run on, and even so stop. What surety of the world, what hope, what stay? When this was now a king, and now is clay. Art thou gone so? I do but stay behind to do the office for thee of revenge, and then my soul shall wait on thee to heaven, as it on earth hath been thy servant still. Now, now, you stars that move in your right spheres, where be your powers? Show now your mended faiths, and instantly return with me again, to push destruction and perpetual shame out of the weak door of our fainting land. Straight let us seek, or straight we shall be sought. The Dauphin rages at our very heels. It seems you know not, then, so much as we. The Cardinal Pandulf is within at rest, who half an hour since came from the Dauphin, and brings from him such offers of our peace, as we with honour and respect may take, with purpose presently to leave this war. He will the rather do it when he sees ourselves well sinewed to our defence. Nay, it is in a manner done already, for many carriages he hath dispatched to the seaside, and put his cause and quarrel to the disposing of the cardinal, with whom yourself, myself, and other lords, if you think meet, this afternoon will post to consummate this business happily. Let it be so. And you, my noble prince, with other princes that may best be spared, shall wait upon your father's funeral. At Worcester must his body be interred, for so he willed it. Thither shall it, then, and happily may your sweet self put on the lineal state and glory of the land, to whom with all submission, on my knee, I do bequeath my faithful services, and true subjection, everlastingly. And the like tender of our love we make to rest without a spot for evermore. I have a kind soul that would give you thanks, and knows not how to do it but with tears. O oh, let us pay the time but needful woe, since it hath been beforehand with our griefs. This England never did, nor never shall lie at the proud foot of a conqueror, but when it first did help to wound itself. Now these her princes are come home again, come the three corners of the world in arms, and we shall shock them. Nought shall make us rue, if England to itself do rest but true. Exeunt. End of Act Five. End of The Life and Death of King John by William Shakespeare.